Hello everybody, welcome back to the Daily Anime Podcast. It's me, Jefferson, and today, in lieu of talking about anime or my life, I'm actually going to talk about a film from 1956, directed by the late Kenji Mizoguchi, Streets of Shame. And you might be wondering, hey, this is a anime podcast... What are you doing talking about live action? Well, I'll explain to you how it um, relates to me wanting to talk about, you know, this stuff on an anime podcast. One, I consider talking about old Japanese films to be a social good because um, that stuff has a niche audience. And if this is ever going to expand, then we need anime fans in on this. Because if there's anyone else who would give these strange films, or actually just great films, a watch, then um, it will probably be y'all. Second, um, I do think that the discussion of this underground world is interesting. And I do want to talk about this in the context of episode 3 of Paranoia Asians, uh, Double Lip, the one with the woman who is split between her day life and her night life and where in her day life she is a regular bourgeois woman who wants to get married and live um a good life quote unquote and in her night life she is a um vicious prostitute and her being torn between these two personalities and her uh multiple personality disorder type worlds like i feel like that is um interesting to think about in relation to this film Streets of Shame. So yeah, that's my justification for why I want to talk about this old black and white movie uh from nineteen fifty six. Uh I guess it's that might not be like the greatest justification and I might be corrupting the brand. I've never cared about that. Um this is the Daily Anime Podcast Daily means whatever the hell I want it to mean. So, anime means whatever the hell I want it to mean, too. So, as for the actual film, um, it's not a simple narrative film in the sense that we're presented with a problem in a protagonist or series of protagonists that has to tackle that problem throughout the film and then eventually resolve it by the end. Um... I think a way to describe it there. I think there is, there's definitely a problem in the film and it's that, um, Japan and the national legislature wants to ban prostitution. And so throughout the film, we follow the lives of prostitutes in this place called dreamland. Now, I forget what the actual Japanese is called, but it was something Yume, something, something. So probably along the lines of Dreamland is probably a good um, translation of that name. I guess now that I said it, just like the whole name Dreamland is in and of itself theoretically interesting. Um, Because it's often talked about how women and people of color become like a sort of repository for um like male and social fantasies and in a lot of ways i think this film deals with uh like the social fantasy of prostitution and the ways in which 
they are constructed and it goes like yeah okay i think i'm biting off too much here and i should just describe the characters in the film okay so it follows uh, the lives of this ensemble cast of prostitutes and um the first prostitute we see is Yasumi, who is the highest earning woman at this brothel. And um, she, as we see throughout the film, she's like, she's like really about that grind. Like she's out there. She's saving money. She ain't blowing her money. In fact, she's loaning out money and like getting interest on it. So she is like a businesswoman out to make investments. Another woman we see is Yorie. She, Yorie. she is uh, approaching middle age and she wants to leave because, you know, she's getting up there in the years and um, she wants to get married. You know, a dream, right? I don't know. Um, but that's her dream. Then there's Yumiko. She's an older woman. So she's already like way past Yorie's age. And she is working so that she can send money to her son who, as we find out throughout later in the film, is now old enough to actually take care of her. And then there's Hanai. She's a married woman who um, works to take care of her unemployed and sick husband and her uh, baby. And then there's Mickey, or Miki. And she uh, is a new hire, and she's the youngest uh, there. And she, I guess you could say, is kind of like your um, stereotypical floozy or whatever. Um, and you'll you'll see that she has daddy problems. I mean, I guess I kind of spoiled it. But, I mean, that's like the assumption um, that people make about prostitutes. But, I mean, I think there's actually more to her character. Um, and I think more of social criticism of her character that I find interesting. But, yeah. It follows their lives and each of their stories and them. They function as like a sort of both like a community for each other and like a support group. And as like a community, they're also, they also support each other um, like co-workers. And I guess that's kind of, I guess that's not too weird because we are talking about a brothel here. And so they, people who live on the edge of society in the red light district that also exists alongside, um, you know, the great religious iconography of that famous Buddhist temple. Um, like, it's interesting because early on in the film, there's this fellow, we're not entirely sure who he is. Um, well, I mean, they do say who he is, but it's just like, what is your role, man? He's this fellow, I think he's like a minister or an elected official um, or like a lobbyist. But he is constantly trying to say that, hey, we need to keep prostitution legal for y'all. Um, y'all provide a social service, a social need. And um, I think the more we think about like the social service and social need thing. It's just like, okay, so whose social need? Who's the one being provided for? Who's doing the providing? I don't think that line of questioning is as simple as 
well, the women are providing and or society is providing. While I do think the film definitely comes out on the side that this industry or this quote-unquote social service, if we're going to look at it from the perspective of society is providing the social service, um, that's probably not true. Um, as a matter of fact, the relationship is a lot more close to exploitation. And it's exploitation on multiple levels throughout um, the women's lives. Each of these women, I would say, function as an example um, of the multiple levels and the ways in which prostitutes are used in a not sexual way. And I think that's super interesting. So why do I find um, a functionally sexual relationship, but um, not talking about sex so much interesting is because I don't think that obviously, um, like this is going to echo a little bit of Zizek here. Zizek says, it's just like Freud's point wasn't that everything is about sex. And as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. And well, maybe not the opposite, but this is just not true. It's not, not everything is about sex, but at the point where we try to repress it, like that's when everything starts becoming sexual and a lot of things in this this film actually deals a lot more in terms of the ways in which the cinematography works to capture these characters within their brothel as like a sort of prison um, and containment. And like these notions of humanity, these notions of bourgeois morality, um, what it means to be a good man or woman in society as more um, constricting and then, especially for people who are, by their circumstances, forced into a position to occupy this social space, this zone, the, the terrible world of the red light district. That's, I think that's what I've been trying to say. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Now that you're getting to the level of social critique, um, that's cool. Because where in Paranoia Agent, like, being torn between these opposite worlds that oppose each other, um, in this film, it's just like, well, yeah, these worlds do kind of oppose each other, but they also live alongside each other. The lady who runs Dreamland, she says, this business has been around for 300 years. Would you have a business be around for 300 years if it was not necessary? It's like, that's a pretty damn good question. And I think more to the point is like, I can't remember if I mentioned it or not, but yeah. But like, the fact that it's called Dreamlands um, implies that, well, it's of dreams, that it is of a social fantasy. And um, that's what I think makes it like way more complicated because it's like well how do we fantasize and think about prostitutes and it goes through the poverty story and it goes through like the daddy problem story and it goes through the um, exploited worker story and it paints like this brilliant mural of um, a world that 
estranged from the Japan that we know. Hence, I would say, the use of the very, very strange soundtrack. Um, Then before we see anything, like, we just hear a theremin. Um, And if you don't know what a theremin is, um, think old sci-fi films. I'll play some in the show's ending. And, like, like, that's the thing. It's like, at the point where you have injected a science fiction element, suggest to me that homie um, Mizoguchi, Mizoguchi fella, man, he was just like, this is, I'm going to do some estrangement. Shit's not going to be in order. Because, um, you know, if you listen to my Parasite episode, there you think about sci-fi. That's kind of the point, is that it takes an element of what exists in the world and estranges that element in the realm of fantasy in order to present a sort of social critique. And whereas this film, I'm not entirely too sure, I feel like what what it estranges is the strange narrative of prostitution as providing like a social safety net um and just sort of the role of woman in society and the role of morality and i think more to the point the notions of humanity that define these women in the position they are because this 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 film cuts across like all lines like i mentioned earlier which is why I love this film. It's like I've never seen a film by this fella Mizoguchi before, and I I want to watch more, and especially in the concept of doubling, and like as per paranoia agent, like I think reading that in terms of context of this film make it even more interesting. And I've already gone on for like I've okay at this point I'm gonna let y'all know um, I've recorded for a while and I've been editing and I've just been like okay what do I do with XYZ and I don't want to just like give away the whole movie but I also probably shouldn't be practicing like this uh, super unorganized light theory work either <laughs> so that's probably bad uh, light film criticism either that's what I'm that's what I'm really trying to say it's like oh I don't know what I want to do but this film is awesome and y'all should go watch it because, you know, like, this is not something that a lot of anime tackle, but, um, well, I mean, some anime do take on this issue, but maybe not as an issue as much as a, well, let's deal with the desire of the woman and i.e. let's deal with the world of um, sexual desire and fantasy pornography. Um, you will see like this, uh, twisted fantasy of, oh, here is proper woman. And then beneath all of that in the middle of the night, you know, she'll like have all like these weird sexual fantasies and she'll want to do all this type of stuff. Right. And you'll see that, um, strange dichotomy going on in the world of pornography i'm not going to talk about that in here but i mean like um you know this shit exists 
you know people listening to my show and um and i mean not a lot of anime want to especially in films want to directly talk about prostitution in this way um and i'm kind of surprised i'm not really surprised but like i'm kind of sad that the only example that i can think of where this happens in it where that happened in anime where someone wanted to tackle prostitution maybe not in the way that this film did it but wants to approach and explore the notion of woman as fantasy and as site of cultural production of um like what it means to be a good or bad person um is like the only example i can think of is episode three of paranoia agent i'm just like damn is like really well actually yeah like it makes sense to me because like most anime don't really want to be about like interesting issues because most anime is about trying to make that bottom line and especially because like japan is probably about as conservative as america in a lot of ways and it's just like this is not this this is not this is a disturbing topic precisely because it cuts away at like so many issues that um we don't really want to deal with and that we want to flee away from because it involves embodied embodiment and being in the flesh anyways there's a lot more to say about this but you do not want to hear me droning on about this type of stuff because you know my ass is just i just know all this shit theoretically okay i don't know anything about you know dating sex or nothing okay all i know is what i see in the movies and what i read in the books anyways (laughs) don't email me asking about advice for relationships or sex do not call me that shit is hilarious. When people be asking me about this shit, I'll just be like, wrong dude. Bye, bitch. <laughs> Contact me at dailyanimepodcast at gmail.com. You know, hit me up on the website, dailyanimepodcast.com. Send me a tweet at dailyanimepod. If you think that I fucked up, or um, I think more to the point that you actually want me to talk about this more you don't want me to talk about this more at all um that's cool if you say hey you're corrupting the brand by talking about this live action movie well i mean you know i'm gonna talk about more live action movies whatever if you want me to talk about more legend of the black heroes i'll be getting on that train soon because it's just like i think i bit off more than i can chew by talking about the movie and not writing out my dissertation about it because it's awesome anyways thanks goodbye